You're listening to Haunacon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. Today, we'll hear stories from a Potawatomi elder devoted to music and someone who uses a special connection with the earth to carry on traditions. A CPN employee at the Cultural Heritage Center will also discuss how to better research family lineage. Marty and Bill Roberts visit the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Elder Center almost daily, and both the Bergeron family descendant and her husband love music. They lead a group of elders in singing secular, gospel, and patriotic songs every Thursday morning before lunch. Marty plays the piano, which she learned as a child, and Bill occasionally joins her on a flute-like instrument called a recorder. Marty and Bill became teachers as young adults. She taught grade school, and Bill taught music and English internationally. He has degrees in instrumental and choral music. The two lived around the globe, in the Caribbean, Africa, across the United States, and twice in Japan, before retiring and settling into elder housing near CPN headquarters. One of their fondest memories involved Bill leading a choir for the Yokohama International Baptist Church during a performance at the Intercontinental Yokohama Grand. They were invited by the hotel's event planner. She came and asked us if our choir would put on a Christmas performance in the hotel itself. And that was a biggie, big thing. When we went to the hotel, we were met by the people in charge, and they took us in a private elevator up to the Princess of Japan's um, Sweet. The emperor's daughter. The emperor's she daughter. She has her own little suite up there on the top floor yes. with a grand piano up there. So To practice before we went down. And it was uh, locked, and they had to unlock that elevator for us to even go up, you know. But they had our church choir to do that for them. And so it was like I was in fantasy land, you know, <laughs> going around the suite of the emperor's daughter and looking at everything. <laughs> It was, it was fun. Teaching music provided Bill personal and professional satisfaction. The art form holds a special place in his heart, and he tries to pass his philosophy and passion on to others, including through he and Marty's performances at the CPN Elder Center. You know, there's, you can study science, you can study math, and those are all things we need, and it's good head knowledge, but, uh, you know, the arts, especially music, I think, is a expression of the heart and emotions and feelings so it's always uh, it's nice when you can work with kids especially kids I mean anybody I mean I, I work with church choirs as well and I've worked with adults but uh, regardless of the uh, the group it is you know when you get them to perform and experience the joy of uh, expressing themselves through music it's it's a you know kind of a rush for me as well. Marty continues to teach piano despite being retired. One of Marty's best friends, Doris Duncan, comes to the Elder Center. 
She started taking piano lessons from Marty after suffering a stroke nearly a decade ago, which left her without the use of her right side and difficulty speaking. Doris is 87 years old and she's a fighter. You know, she doesn't give up on anything. And so her husband, Lonnie, took her to speech therapy for six months to try to get her speech back and to help her to learn her ABCs, to say them. Nothing worked, nothing. And so they quit. He gave up on speech therapy. And she told him one day that she likes music and she would come up to the piano with the others to sing. And she could sing. And so I said, Doris, quit talking and start singing. <laughs> Anything you want to say to me, sing it. <laughs> and so then Lonnie said, Marty, would you mind giving um, Doris some piano lessons? That's what she wants to do. And I got her a keyboard at home. So I started giving her lessons and just within a few weeks, um, she was using her right hand just as well as her left. And she was playing scales. And then she started saying the names of the notes out loud. And she was actually saying A, B, C and going up the scale and her husband was sitting in a chair and the tears were just rolling down his cheeks and he said i can't believe this we had six months of speech therapy and nothing happened this is the the phrase he used the music unlocked her brain bill and marty believe in a connection between music and god marty says quote it's an expression of god that only humans have end quote they believe in music's healing power, and they enjoy bringing that to their friends and other tribal members every week. During an interview in their home, they display their belief in that connection with a rendition of Nothing But the Blood. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation Title VI program welcomes Native Americans 55 and older to the center located at 2346 South Gordon Cooper Drive in Tecumseh, Oklahoma from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. For more information, call 405-273-5236. Family History Specialist Serena Thompson works in the Archives Department as a Citizen Potawatomi Nation Cultural Heritage Center. She helps tribal members and others research their Potawatomi genealogy, finding relevant historical documents and family connections. She sat down with me to discuss the importance of paper trails and the process of assisting people in their search to discover more about their heritage. Um, I come from um, a lady named Catherine Elizabeth Bourbonnais. She had a daughter, Sarah Taysier. So I'm a Bourbonnais, Taysier, and then she married a Nadu. So I have kind of three names that we consider uh, CPN names. How should people go about starting to find out about their Potawatomi side of their family? The biggest thing that people say to me is, I wish I had asked my grandma or my grandfather or somebody, my great aunt or uncle. So if you can ask or even get them on video, write it down. I always say the documents are really wonderful, but they don't mean anything if 
the people don't care about them. So keep those, do that, scan them, do whatever you can with them. Those help a paper trail, paper trail no matter what. Ask as many people as you can. There's usually some great aunt somewhere. And, you know, it'd probably make her day if somebody would reach out to her in the family that maybe's never talked to her ever but wants to know what she has and it'll give her a lot of joy speaking of those times but from my side um, when someone contacts me and is wanting to find out about their family history I will always ask them to go usually to their enrollment card if they are enrolled they do not have to be enrolled to request um, whatever history we have Um, go to that and it has usually your 18 Uh, 73 or your 1887 ancestors those two allotment processes well they are our beginnings as um, citizen Potawatomi Indians of Oklahoma which later we became the citizen Potawatomi nation so those lists those people that came to Oklahoma and took allotment it's kind of like our I don't know or maybe our petri dish or something you basically have to come from those folks to be enrolled in this tribe then you still have to prove your direct descendancy you know through um, birth certificates and death certificates and maybe christening certificates but uh, legitimate documents from there there just this this huge accumulation of stuff in um, tribal roles Um, It was gifted to archives about in 07. Sometimes it's really interesting. You'll find somebody who um, may be a Tupin or something like that, and then she's also a Martell. And the Martell is from the Wilmot family. I can put it on a disc and send it to the person, and then they can go through these documents as as they need to or please and hopefully do their own research. You can learn so much by just going back through these collections, even if there's only one document that has maybe your great-grandma's name on it, you know, it may have a lot about her parents and and stuff. So it's a nice process, and sometimes you're the one that finds out different things. Um, Sometimes I get calls from um, non-tribal members, and I am surprised at wherever my search takes me. So I always tell people, oh, this seems like you're not going to find something here. It seems like a waste of time, but there's something there that's going to give you a lead or a direction in some way. You just have to keep digging. So I always wonder if it isn't our, our ancestors just wanting to be close to us, just need us to be close to them. And so by learning about them, we are, and it just makes us closer to that. So explain why the treaties are so important to finding out about your family history, what they were, and and how that affected how people got to Oklahoma. The allotment process, which was um, when the individual Potawatomi um, in Kansas had made the decision to take allotment and move to Oklahoma, and that's what created the um, citizen. For example, I like to do this with folks. They had an allotted piece of land in Oklahoma, and they have the large maps with the allotments on it. The original allotment books that'll have your ancestor's name, has their age, sometimes it has a little note, daughter of number, whoever, you know, who's the mother. Um, sometimes if they're in a different place in the allotment process and the numbering system, then it has a legal description. And from that legal description, 
um, they've created, of course, an allotment map, which is kind of Pottawamie County. There's a little more over on to Cleveland County. But from that map, you can go in and, and find your allotment number on these, the allotment maps that we have in the library. And I can also email one to anybody. And you can find your allotment and you can look at uh, where it was. It's not like someone can tell you you're not a part of this tribe or you're not a part of the Native American history in this country because her name is right there or his name is right there. And I always laugh because you'll find out that you're more than one family or somebody in your family either farther back or even just recently married into it. It's connectedness, connected to each other and to those that have walked on, our ancestors. I've definitely heard people describe it more as, well, it's not a family tree, it's a web. Oh, definitely. I love it. I kinda, it's like a puzzle sometimes, and it's like when you find the missing piece, then all this other big chunk of a puzzle fits into the other big chunk of a puzzle. And I've always said... It's amazing how complicated things seem on paper, but, you know, at the time when you're living it, it's not complicated. So if I had a man and a woman in their first marriage, they had children, So, but they marry, and in their second children, you know, they have them together. Well, if a stepbrother and a stepsister get married, and then they have children, and you come down, it gets really kind of crazy and complicated. Sometimes it gets a little fun to really dig around, and um, sometimes it takes a few years just to find that one little puzzle piece, and then where you go, oh, okay, now it makes sense. So why are documents important? Why and why do you find for yourself that documents are fun? I've always said the stuff isn't important. You know, your papers, your artifacts are not important unless they mean something to you. And your family usually means something to you. They're very telling. I mean, it's kind of what you build your story on, I guess. And it's a good reflection of what was happening at that time, I would suspect. When you're doing genealogy and names, dates, birthdays, more information is always better. But, um, you know, sometimes you got to take what you get. But you can glean things out. Sometimes you can find out. And letters, I, I do succumb to crying when I read these beautiful letters to family members over things that are very moving. You can know somebody through it, just I'm assuming like a book, how we get so caught up with characters and stuff. And maybe it's human nature to be able to get caught up in those emotions that you can see from, the, from paper. Visit the archives online at podwatomieheritage.com forward slash archives or call the Cultural Heritage Center at 405-878-5830. Harvesting bark from birch trees during the winter requires a specific skill set. Pottawatomie have been using birch bark for both artistic and practical purposes for centuries, including making canoes, containers, and etching services. 
Tribal member Christy Phillips learned how to collect it from her friend Kevin Finney after moving from Oklahoma to tribal homelands in the Great Lakes region. She left her position as a medical lab technician to teach the Potawatomi language. That's how important the language is. I dropped my career. I dropped everything to make sure that I can do something for the language and for the people. I personally like to make connections with the trees, and um, to me, it helps me understand the language better. So the word for birch bark is wigwas, and that word actually breaks down into the essence of that being is being shown. Kind of like the sycamore trees down here, when you're up there in Michigan, those trees are the ones that are white, and they, um, all the other trees are brown. So those trees literally look like they're glowing when you're out there in the snow. I was walking out looking for one and there was a tree and it looked like it was glowing. And I asked Kevin, I said, have you ever seen a tree that looked like it was glowing? Like it wanted to be peeled. And then he was like, yeah, he said, that's what that name means. You know, like then it dawned on me that some of these trees, they like it. They like to be peeled. Like how many of these trees can now say that they made this journey to Oklahoma and they're going to be in the homes of people down here and how many people have had connections with these trees before and now they're coming back into their lives and they're making that journey again so to me that's that's amazing that that these trees wanted to be picked to make this journey and I didn't even think that that was something that was going to happen but look we're here and it's happening and to be able to tell those trees hey look you know I, I took you to Oklahoma I took you over here you're going back into the homes of Nishinaabai people and we're making the connection again. I think that's that's beautiful for the trees to feel celebrated and, and used again and understand their beauty and everything they offer us. There you go out there in Michigan, you'll see them all over the place. They all look like that. Like They just look like they're glowing out there. It's really pretty. Winter bark still has a layer of, um, it still has a layer on it that you can then um, scrape off and it's kind of like a, it can show an image on it. You are only able to obtain winter bark when the days are above freezing and the nights are freezing. It's kind of the same time you can get maple. A lot of the trees don't like to be peeled at that time. So you have to go out and you have to put tobacco down. You have to ask the trees if they're willing to be made into something. And like I said, it usually takes five to six hours to find two trees to actually go in and peel. Summer bark, you could do quilling on, you can make, you just can't etch it. People prefer to make a lot of their stuff out of the winter bark because you can etch it and it looks really nice. Summer bark, it just pops right off. Um, there's people that are actually a lot more evolved with their etching where they can almost do like the entire tree. Um, there's so many other techniques, but because of the regulations they have on it, I'm only able to peel um, if... Um, I'm teaching and working with people that are within specific treaty lands. It's really challenging, actually, to work within those. I don't think people realize that. It's all about them wanting to cut the trees. Trees are a big resource, and so not wanting to damage them for the lumber industry and everything, which we don't, but that's kind of how that works. We're consumers, but we don't understand what we're taking when we consume so when we're out peeling this bark, then you're actually understanding what you're taking and where that's coming from and the work that is behind taking those resources. So not to get so existential, but I think it really does come down to understanding what we're taking and not taking it to the point of 
like we're entering the sixth mass extinction right now or damaging the ecosystem. So that's the reason why I would, I, I prefer working with the trees and learning from them. All of this stuff wasn't um, challenging. If you practice and you do it with the goodness of your heart and you're doing it with respect, all of that's not challenging. The challenging part is making sure you're working within the bureaucracy. It, it didn't dawn on me um, how challenging it is to be a Nishinaabe and what type of um, limits they put on us until I wanted to start working with the trees and the land. Then it really dawned on me that they really put a lot of limit on us and they, and they really hurt us when they removed us in so many ways. This is us as being able, this is in our language. This is, this is in our DNA to do these things. And then they put boundaries on us to do that. I don't think a lot of us understand that. I don't think a lot of us knew that that was part of the deal, basically that we would run into those struggles. And then on top of that, if you only have a select people who are able to do that, then what type of challenges is our kids going to run into? When you're in Michigan, everything will start making sense. The climate indicators in our months, the name Wigwas, the name Janamesh, um, even the word Nishnaba, all of those things start making sense when you're around that water, when you're around those Great Lakes, when you're around the land. So all of this stuff is who we are and tied to the land. And I would really love to see more people from Oklahoma and Kansas making journeys back up and seeing who they are and making that connection to the land and who they are. Visit Potawatomi.org forward slash events to find workshops, cultural classes, and tribal gatherings in your area. Language resources are available at Potawatomi.org forward slash language. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. The theme music is written and performed by Marsha Bindo. You can visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot O-R-G. We're on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore n until next time i'm paige willett miigwech nikanek bamamina thank you friends see you later <laughs>